Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and last week you got to know French nanny Sophie Leonette and the house of horrors she found herself in while following her dreams of becoming a London au pair. This week you'll learn a little bit more about what happened to her in the months, weeks, and days leading up to her death, according to the trial and according to Oisum, who took the stand first. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. We left off last week with the fire department responding to a fire in the backyard of Sabrina and Oisum's apartment, and after extinguishing the flames, finding Sophie's tiny body in the rubble with Oisum trying to convince them that it was just a sheep he was cooking. Police responded immediately and started questioning Oisum, but Sabrina was not at the house at the time. When she came home from an outing with her oldest son, she came back to police tape lining the entire outside of her apartment. A neighbor noticed her outside and brought her in, where she said Sabrina seemed nervous and asked for a cigarette, even though she had apparently quit smoking. And this isn't to say that her neighbors liked her at all, because frankly they didn't. One neighbor testified that Sabrina and Oisum were flat out inconsiderate to everyone else living around them, saying that they were antisocial and were forever leaving their garbage out, stinking up the block. They said that Sabrina was always dressed to the nines, but thought it was odd considering the fact that she personally knew their landlord and happened to know that despite getting a housing allowance, Sabrina and Oisum were 10,000 euros behind on their rent. Their apartment also only had two bedrooms, and when it comes to live-in au pair situations, the au pair is supposed to be supplied their own room. Oisum and Sabrina shared a room. The two boys shared a room. So where did Sophie sleep? Sophie slept at a fucking desk. Other neighbors testified to constantly hearing a woman screaming and the sound of things crashing. One neighbor specifically recalled seeing Sabrina pull down a full bookshelf during a fit of rage. Police eventually catch up to her and she plays completely ignorant to everything going on. She tells the police that she had a nanny, but that she had left a few days prior to go back home to France. They tell her what they found in the fire, which included Sophie's burned body, of course, but they also found a suitcase full of Sophie's belongings in their shed and clumps of her hair in bags in their garden. Sabrina claimed to know nothing, that all she knew was they were planning on having a barbecue. And there's something about them cooking chicken right next to Sophie's emaciated and burning body that makes all of this so much worse. She'd been starved to the point where people brought her and gave her free food because of how worried they were for her. And when her dead body was laying burning beside their house, they were cooking. Within just four hours of finding Sophie's body, both Sabrina and Oisum were charged with her murder. Police in London do not waste time. Sabrina adamantly denied having anything to do with it, that Oisum just told her they were having a barbecue and that she couldn't have killed Sophie because it's against her religion. Weak argument, but okay.
both initially pled guilty to perverting the cause of justice by trying to dispose of Sophie's body, but that didn't mean that they weren't going to trial for her murder because that's what's on the table here, murder, and it's expected to go to trial in March. London pulled a murder trial together in six freaking months. This would have been a solid two-year waiting period before we saw any kind of justice in the U.S., Oisam's story to police was a little more informative. He said that Sophie died on accident while they were interrogating her in the fucking bathtub. I don't think they know what the word accident means. But that's beside the point. For starters, who interrogates anyone? And second, who interrogates someone in a bathtub? He tells authorities that they would hold her underwater throughout their questioning, trying to get her to confess to the insane allegations of her allegedly allowing Mark into their house, of her allowing Mark to inject them with drugs that they somehow didn't see, feel, or know about, and they even accused Sophie of drugging them. These interrogations were a regular thing for Sophie, and each time they got a little worse. But Sabrina and Oisam were so dead set on Sophie confessing to these insane allegations and somehow taking Mark down that they actually videotaped their interrogations of Sophie. The last ones done were on the day of her murder. Oisam claimed that he lost his temper with Sophie on the evening of the 18th, punched her, and says that her head flew back and hit the bathroom tile and she never regained consciousness. He said he tried to resuscitate her to no avail. And with that, he made an attempt to change his guilty plea to guilty of manslaughter, saying that due to his loss of emotional control, he caused the death of another human being. Obviously, that was rejected. Now, this was Oisam's story, at least until four days before the trial, because that's when he caught wind that Sabrina's defense was going to be putting all the blame on him and none on herself. Sophie's parents lived in France, but the trial was scheduled to take place in London where the crime happened, and they were worried about how they were going to afford to travel there for this trial that was estimated to last six weeks. Flights, hotels, on top of bills still racking up at home, it was a genuine concern. But a week before the trials were scheduled, they got word from the Ministry of Justice that they were going to be taken care of. Their train tickets and accommodations were paid for, so they could be there to witness, hopefully, justice for their daughter's murder and not have to take on any financial burden on top of everything else that they've been through in the last six months. And in March, right on schedule, the trial begins, and Oisam's versions of events gets a lot more complicated, a lot more detailed, and a little more believable. His new version of events starts the same way, with the interrogations in the bathroom. But according to the Daily Mail, he couldn't tell if he believed Sabrina's allegations anymore. She kept pressing and pressing Sophie, and in these interrogation videos, you can hear her weak and terrified trying to tell them whatever she thought they wanted to hear to try and get them to stop. But it never stopped. When it came time to give details about whatever she was confessing to, she didn't have any because, frankly, she didn't know what they were talking about. And Oisam was catching on to this pattern. Just a week prior, his girlfriend had taken Sophie out on a drive, demanding that she show Sabrina where her ex-Mark lived. So, Sophie guessed. 
But the people living in the house Sophie took a gamble on knew nothing about anything. They didn't even know who she was. Oisum says that when Sabrina brought Sophie back home that night, she had a swollen upper lip. Time and time again, Sabrina pressed for answers, demanding them and threatening Sophie for them. And over time, Sophie just said whatever she had to, to try and survive. And Oisum was beginning to wonder if any of it was true. Was the love of his life a lying lunatic or was Sophie the liar? Anyways, back to the bathroom interrogation. According to Oisum, he suggested that they just stop for the night and cool down, and he left the bathroom and went to bed. Sabrina didn't go to bed, though. According to him, he woke up some odd hours later to Sabrina in a full panic, saying she didn't know what she had done, but Sophie wasn't breathing. He says he rushed to the bathroom to find Sophie lying on the floor with her eyes wide open, staring at the ceiling and water coming from her nose and mouth. He claims he told Sabrina that they needed to call the police, but she begged him not to. And admittedly, he didn't. Instead, he found a suitcase, put Sophie's tiny, emaciated body into it, went into the kids' room while they were asleep, and placed it neatly under their bunk beds, and then went back to fucking sleep himself. When the two woke up the next morning, they started talking about ways to dispose of Sophie's body. Oisum suggested they bury it in the garden out back, but Sabrina insisted that they burn it. After coming up with her plan, he claims she insisted on getting into the shower to clean her sin, which kind of plays right into her whole, I couldn't have killed her because it's against my religion statement that she made to police. Sophie's lifeless body lay decaying under Sabrina's son's bunk beds until the 20th. That day, she sent Oisum one text. It read, Caustic Soda. Caustic Soda is lie, and anyone who watches Dateline 48 hours, or basically anything on Investigation Discovery, knows that lie has been used in countless murders to try and speed up the decomposition process. But they didn't use lie. On the morning of the 20th, Oisum woke up early and took the boys to school, instead of the usual Sophie. Now let's stop for a second and think about how many times someone has crossed our paths and done something out of the norm, and now wonder why they did it. The school was used to Sophie dropping the boys off, but this day, Oisum did. It's unusual, but it doesn't seem sinister that their pseudo-stepdad would bring them to school. Little did they know, though, that it was because the woman they were used to seeing was lying dead in a suitcase beneath those boys' beds. By the time Oisum got back to their apartment, Sabrina had taken the suitcase out from beneath the bunk beds and into her and Oisum's bedroom that apparently had a door leading to the backyard. The suitcase had actually fallen over and was just haphazardly leaning against the door to the outside at this point. Oisum admits to taking over at this point and bringing the suitcase out back, throwing some wood chips on it, and using Sabrina's fingernail polish remover to start the fire. But the fire didn't last long, and they needed more accelerant, so Sabrina took it upon herself to go to the store and buy some more. 
She brought it back, gave it to a weesome, and then made up some bullshit about having promised her oldest son that she'd take him to a trampoline park and that she was leaving. Oisum begged her not to leave him at the house alone with a burning body, but she was out, leaving him to be caught red-handed without his partner in this heinous crime. He tells the courts that he knows the sheep story was ridiculous, but that he was just trying to protect Sabrina, that he was cooking the chicken to try and disguise the smell of burning human flesh. The courts then talk about the videotapes that Sabrina and Oisum took of their incessant interrogations of Sophie, and they are rough, to say the least. In a video taken on August 8th at 5.32 p.m., the couple is heard asking her over and over where Mark's house was. She said she didn't know, but Oisum says that he knows Mark had taken her there several times. When she repeats that she doesn't know where he lives, Oisum takes a more manipulative approach and suggests that it must have been so traumatizing when she went there for her not to be able to remember. In another video less than half an hour later, Oisum's tone seems to change, and maybe it's because Sabrina isn't with him. You hear him tell Sophie, she can't do anything to you, I'm here. He then tells Sabrina, the nanny's scared. To which she responds, scared of what? I've been nice to her. Again, she's using words that she doesn't know the meaning of. The Daily Star quotes Sabrina in one episode as yelling to Sophie that she destroys everything and adding, I pray to God not to make me touch you. I don't want to make my hands dirty. Oisum wasn't without fault, though. He still took part in the videos and was very much present in the verbal attacks against Sophie, in one recording saying, you'll spend the rest of your life being raped in prison. In the last video ever taken of Sophie, one of six that were recorded on September 18th, the day she's believed to have been killed, she's sitting wet and emaciated in front of their fireplace as they continue berating her for more information that she doesn't have. She's accused of bringing other men into their house, having other men in their bed, drugging the family, and then they ask how many times she drugged the family. They ask her whether she put the drugs in water or juice, and then ask how many times she put the drugs in juice. Then they want to know how many pills she had left, and then tell her to go get them. And then they ask her where they are. But Sophie doesn't know because they don't exist, because none of this ever happened. The court was informed that there was no evidence whatsoever of any contact between Mark and Sophie. In the videos, Sabrina pleads with them to just let her go, that she just wants to see her family, but we all know that didn't happen. The videos on the 18th began at 11.30 in the morning and ended at 7.01 p.m. that evening. This went on for an entire day. There's actually a photo from these recordings that I'll post in her highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. She looks nothing like the Sophie that you got to know and love in last week's episode. She is now extremely thin and just defeated. But what stands out most in this photo is that she's wet, meaning she left that bathroom. So do they take her back in there to continue her torture, or is everyone lying about how and where she died? I don't think we always think about the anguish trials can cause, but Sophie's parents had to travel all the way from France to London to sit in a courtroom and watch their daughter being tortured for eight 
hours, knowing it would ultimately end in her murder. The Daily Mail reports that her mother sobbed in the courtroom until she ultimately had to run out. But the trial had to continue. The medical examiner testified to Sophie's cause of death, which they weren't able to definitively determine due to the severe burns to her body, but they were able to determine that she had fractures to her sternum, five broken ribs, a broken jaw, and bruising on her arms, back, and chest. According to the BBC, the Emmy testified that her broken ribs and sternum likely happened up to three days before her death and that her most recent injury was her broken jaw and a possible cheekbone fracture. And that Emmy was more right than he ever could have known. The Oxford Mail reported that Oesum saw Sabrina beating Sophie with an electric cable in the kitchen on September 13th, five days before her murder. He says that he stopped her and got Sophie up and into bed, which bed I have no idea considering she slept at a desk, but nonetheless, that's what he said. He then claims that he left the apartment to get some fresh air and get away from what was going on at the house, but he didn't get far. Soon after leaving, he got a call from Sabrina saying, What did I do? What did I do? Oesum rushed home to find Sabrina next to Sophie in the bathroom, a common theme here. Sabrina was wearing only her underwear, sobbing, and had huge bruises all up and down her arms and legs. Oesum testifies that this is when he thinks he should have done something about Sophie's abuse, but that he was scared social services would get involved. And they definitely would have and should have. These kids did nothing to deserve having to grow up in this hell house, and the only reprieve they had from their mother was the nanny that she wound up murdering. Sophie's September 15th beating is when it's believed her ribs and sternum were broken. The sternum is extremely pliable, so to see it broken means that someone was forcefully and aggressively attacked. It's uncommon to see sternums break in even high-impact car crashes, so whatever force Sophie was met with was ungodly. And she lived with that for five days before being murdered. From that point on, Sabrina wasn't allowed to leave the house until she confessed, on film, to their liking about whatever bullshit they decided to throw at her that day. And we all know, that never happened. Oesum said that after that incident, she had trouble walking and standing, but kept telling the couple that she was okay, which he admits he knew she wasn't, and says that after that attack, the atmosphere of the house took a turn for the worst, and it was never the same. This is the equivalent of saying that hell caught on fire. BT.com reported that Oesum told the court that Sabrina ruined his life, that he had his part as well, that he could have stopped her, that he could have done things to make sure Sophie was still alive today, but he didn't, and that he hates himself for it, that I've always loved Sabrina and tried to protect her. This led me to make very regrettable choices in my life. I should have done a lot more to protect Sophie, and I feel responsible for not ensuring that she was returned home. But at the same time, he says that he believes Mark came into their house undetected because Sophie lowered the cameras for him and says that he thinks Sophie tried to poison his soda once because she brought him one and then watched him drink it. Solid theory. The last sentence was a lie. 
just before it was time to bring Sabrina to the stand to hear her side of the story, which we can only assume will be wildly different than Oisum's, considering she shouted that he was a murderer from her little box in the back, they gave a little insight into exactly who she is, was, and has been, and some of the crazy shit she's pulled in the past, and it is a fucking doozy. First, an ex-boyfriend of hers testified, and he told the court that Sabrina was aggressive and wild and even had a habit of randomly attacking women in the street. Next, we get a whole lot more clarification on the fathers of her two kids. And while we originally thought her oldest son was Mark's, it was actually her younger son that was his. The nannies that Mark paid for weren't even for his own child. Oisum thought the oldest son was his. He did the whole night feeding thing and everything, only to be told by Sabrina that he wasn't the father and that her son was a result of having been raped while they were dating. Shortly after giving birth to that first son, Sabrina was taken to a place called Coombwood for six weeks, which is a facility for mothers with moderate to severe mental health issues. And even though Oisum knew he was not the father of her baby, he still visited her there every single day and said that he would still raise this baby as if he were his own son. Sabrina had other plans, though. At some point after being released from Coombwood, she kicked Oisum out of their apartment so that her son's real father could move in with them. Yes, the father of the baby she claimed she'd gotten pregnant with through rape. When that didn't pan out, she was back in Oisum's DMs and he was ready and willing to take her back just like every other time. I don't know what kind of voodoo this woman had going on, but she had a line of men willing to take care of children that were not theirs. Sabrina and Oisum stayed together long enough for Sabrina to meet and fall in love with Mark, and then Oisum was back on the back burner. When things ended with Mark, Sabrina called Oisum like she always did and claimed that Mark had strangled her and hit her oldest son. She told Oisum that her oldest son wanted to see him, so he agreed, and when he did, his once-thought biological son told Oisum that his mom was pregnant again. That was Mark's baby. Now, no one could quite understand why she decided to go to America to have her youngest son. She even had a Weesum come with her to help care for her oldest while she was giving birth. But it may have been to avoid having record of his birth in London and thus avoid having to go back to Coombwood post-birth for another six weeks. The four of them came back to London, never allowing Mark to meet his son, even after the phone call offering surprise fatherhood. I don't think that went according to her plan, and things just went further downhill from there. Oisum testified that when Sabrina didn't get her way, her go-to was to grab a knife and threaten to kill herself by running in front of a car. A knife and a car. At one point, Oisum says that Sabrina ran into the street with her youngest son in her arms, yelling that she was going to kill herself. He said that she'd never hurt her youngest son, but that she had hit her oldest son with what looks to be pool sticks. The words he used were a snooker and a cue, and they both look like they come back to pool. He added that she had also pulled his hair. And just like she did with Mark, Sabrina would call the police on Oisum for the most random shit, like working late, telling the police that he was neglecting her. She failed to report to police that she'd set the curtains on fire because he'd come home late. Extremely reasonable response. Again, the last sentence was a lie. 
The Daily Mail reported that Owisum said Sabrina had mood swings and she would wake up yelling for no reason. He testified that she would have dreams about him being with other women, and she thought that if she dreamed something, it was going to happen, that it was her gift. And he says that a few times her dreams had come true, so he had trouble with whether or not to believe said gift. He says he never reported any of her behavior to the police because he was afraid she'd get her kids taken away from her. And if he had, and they were, maybe Sophie would have never worked for them, and maybe she would still be alive today. While I'd love to dive into Sabrina's testimony, that would be a whole nother episode, so part three is going to have to wait until next week. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Sophie's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me, and we talk about the crazy that is this case. I'll be bringing you part three of this case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.